Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are um, in Parshat Vayeshev this morning. Joseph has just been sold into slavery. What was the original plan with Joseph? They were going to kill him. They sell him into slavery, and what do they do about about going home without him to Jacob? What do they do? They take his tunic. They take his tunic that that is identifying of him because it's the one that. It's the kutona tapasim that his father gave him as a sign of favor. They they rip it and dip it in what? Blood of what? A kid. So they they dip his coat in kid's blood, and then they send it. I mean, they take it to Jacob, and they say to him, "Look." To whom does this belong, essentially? Whose is this? They don't say, Joseph's dead. They never say that. They take the coat with the blood, they take it to Jacob, and they say, look, whose is this? You're like, to whom does this belong? Let's remember that. That just happened, just now. So that just happened, and in the middle of the Joseph novella, in the middle of the Joseph narrative, we get chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. Right after they go to Yaakov. Chapter 38, verse 1, is inserted here. And we're going to look at this insertion into the Joseph novella. When I was hired here at KI, before I was hired, I had to come audition. And the audition was to take the Torah portion and for whoever you wanted to come teach it in the sanctuary this was the Parsha five years ago this was the Parsha and uh, I remember why do I why do I remember so clearly because I had a choice I can do chapter 37 Joseph being sold into slavery I can do chapter 39 Right? The whole business about what happens to him, going to Potiphar's house, right? Rising among the ranks. There's, right? Or there was this. This is what I chose to teach. All right, somebody read 38 1. About that time, Judah left his brothers and camped near a certain Adulamite whose name was Hiram. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and cohabited with her. She conceived and bore a son, and he named him Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and named him Onam. Once again she bore a son, and named him Shelah. Uh, he was at Chezib when she bore him. Judah got a wife for Er, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was displeasing to the Lord, and the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, join with your brother's wife and do your duty by her as a brother-in-law and provide offspring for your brother. But Onan, knowing that the, 
that the seed would not count as his, let it go to waste whenever he joined with his brother's wife, so as not to provide offspring for his brother. What he did was displeasing to the Lord, and he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Stay as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he too might die like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. A long time afterwards, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. When his period of mourning was over, Judah went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, together with his friend Hira the Adulamite. And Tamar was told, your father-in-law is coming up to Timnah for the sheep shearing. So she took off her widow's garb, covered her face with a veil, and wrapping herself up, sat down at the entrance to Enayim, <coughs> which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelach was grown up, yet she had not been given to him as wife. When Judah saw her, he took her for a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here, let me sleep with you, <coughs> for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. What, she asked, will you pay for sleeping with me? He replied, I will send a kid from my flock. But she said, you must leave a pledge until you have sent it. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your seal and cord and the staff which you carry. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she conceived by him. Then she went on her way. She took off her veil and again put on her widow's garb. All right, let's just stop there for now. You'll decide whether or not this is right. Right? When we when we got in the car afterwards, Stephen said, "Okay, first of all, four thousand points for choosing that text." That's gonna be some movie, right? That movie we want to see. All right. So I know, right? This is a. I love this story. So Joseph. We just dealt with what happened that Joseph gets sold and they go back to Jacob with the clothes dipped in the kid's blood. And now immediately after that, we get this about that time, Judah left his brothers and camped near a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua and he married her and cohabited with her. Okay, so far, fine. She conceives and she bears a son named Er. She conceives again and bears a son named Onan. Again, she bears a son and names him Shelah. So three sons, Judah and um, his wife Shua have three sons. Okay. Judah got a wife for Er, that's his job, to provide a wife for his son. And her name was Tamar. What does Tamar mean in Hebrew? Tamar, date palm. You may or may not know this. The date palm often needs help in bearing fruit, but it is very fruitful. It is very, very prolific and sometimes needs human intervention in order to... Thank you. In order to bear fruit. Keep that in mind as we look at Tamar. So, um, for some reason, we're not told why, but it's very clear what happens. Air is displeasing somehow to God, and so God takes his life. So it's very clear who's responsible for Air's death. 
to the, to the omniscient narrator and to the reader or to the listener, right, to this story. Not necessarily, as we're going to see, to Judah. Then Judah says to Onan, join with your brother's wife and do your duty by her as a brother-in-law and provide offspring for your brother. What are we dealing with here? What are we dealing with here? He's got to provide offspring for her. Inheritance. Leveret marriage. That's, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> what does that mean? Leverite marriage means if I am taken into, as a female, taken into a household, I am purchased essentially, right? You know, by with a bride price, and I am entering the house as a legal wife, and my husband dies before I conceive. Then I am bound to that house through another male of the house, right? So they, I'm still bound to that house, and there's an obligation of one of the males in the house to provide an, an offspring to me that will carry the family's name. If there's no male who can or will perform the duties of the lever, what do you think needs to happen? Sarah says, I don't want to think. Sold to another family. So she would be given, if nobody will serve as the lever, she has the right to be released from that household and be considered a widow. Okay? If you're a widow, you may remarry. Yes? So if you are technically a widow, because that's what happens, you are not considered a widow? You are considered a widow. You are? Yeah. Okay. So? It sounded like you're not considered a widow when you're in the family and another brother is with you. It doesn't matter. It, it does, it's not a status that has any meaning. It, the, when it has meaning is if she's released from that house, she's considered her legal status is as a widow, and then that means she can remarry in order to pursue right having children. How did that law or custom serve the family of the man? Like why, why is that law made? I'm sure it wasn't for the woman's sake. Right, because they already have her. They've already paid the bride price. Oh, so you don't want to. So you right. don't want to waste What's that. <laughs> right. If, if you don't have to, another, right. we already have. Right. right. If, right. if it's from the family, who right. cares really? Right. Who's who it is? Well, who right. cares? Who's the actual you know biological father? Remember, and it, we always have to correct our lenses when we're reading Torah. Me too. We always have to correct for the fact that it was not an individualistic society, right? It doesn't. Paternity doesn't really matter. It only matters in who the clan is, right? So paternity matters a lot, don't get me wrong, but it, it only matters in terms of to whom does the man who fathered this child, to what clan does he belong? That's important. But whether it's Mickey or Joel Bienenfeld doesn't really matter, as long as it's a Bienenfeld. Did they know that the woman contributes an egg to make a person? Or yes. did they think they did? They yes. didn't think it was just the seed of the male. No. Um, and she was usually blamed for 
infertility. They did not seem to understand or be ready to deal with the possibility that something could be wrong. So they knew she contributed, you know, genetic material, but it seems that <clears throat> if it didn't take, it was the problem with the field, not the seed. Did the child, uh, was she entitled to a, a male child? I mean, because the whole point was in keeping the inheritance of the tribe. So what happens if she, you know, has a girl? Right. So very nice. Uh, you know what? I'm actually not sure, but I think you're right. I think she's entitled to a son. I'm almost positive, but I would have to check. Keep going until it's a boy. Right. Because he's going to inherit. To, to that, that's right. Because it has to be, it has to be carrying on the name, the carrying on the name of the clan, you know, of the extended family of the dead brother. Well, if, it was, if there were several levers available, is there a... a preferred order? Yes. So that's and some of what we're seeing other, here. The other things come into the decision both ways. He chooses her or she chooses him. So there is, it seems to be the immediate family are the first required levers. And it be a lot of men. And the, yes, there there are many male possibilities because then the circle extends. And where do we see that? Where do we see the circle of who can perform that function extend and extend and extend and extend? It's a famous story. You all know the story. You're going to kick yourselves when I tell you. Huh? Ruth. What's the happy ending of the Ruth story? Boaz turns out to be Naomi's kinsman, who has the ability to serve as the lever and for Ruth, right? So it's like, oh, you know, the angels start singing, the heavens open, right? So he, and he's a distant cousin who still can perform the leveret function. Sarah? What if he already has a wife? That doesn't matter. I, I don't think it matters because they, you know, if they were polygamous, so I, I'm not sure it matters. So now I'm worried about this woman who becomes a widow. Is she wandering without family? So that is an excellent question. How does she live? If she's a widow, she could return to her family's house, to her father's house. If they'll have. If they'll have her, presumably if she was married and her husband died, there's no shame involved. So it would be a pretty icky family, <laughs> right, that would, that would not have her back because what? You know, she eats a lot. Like, you know, like that would be yucky. They gave away her room, you know, so um, presumably she would return to her father's household until she decides... What's next, right? What she wants to do next. Does she want to remarry? Does she just want to look after someone else's children? Like, you know, who knows? But, but, it's a, but hold that question. And I want to ask you a question in return, Fern. Paula Fern. If she goes back to her father's house as a widow, talk to me about, remember we talked at great length about who controls a woman's sexuality in the ancient Near East? If you're listening to this on a podcast, check a previous podcast. <laughs> Um, we talked a lot about who owns a woman's sexuality in the biblical Israelite culture. 
If she's a widow who's returned to her father's house, who has control of her sexuality? She does. Ha 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 ha. She, she does. does. Because once you're a widow, in fact, you can own property, and you, you, know, you are sort of a male equivalent. It's the only way to get there. Correct. So it's not so bad in the ancient world, possibly, to be a widow. Now remember, if you do the math on this story, and it's only because I was reading Tikva Frymerkensky of Blessed Memory that I went there, um, she's pr- Onan, they, they guess he's like 18. The first son is like 18. The second son is 17. So we're talking about a young woman who is possibly 16 when this happens. Then she's 17 when the next one dies, maybe 18, maximum. Like, you know, so she's, that's who we're dealing with being a widow. So her whole life is in front of her. Her whole life. You're 18 in that culture. You're 19, 20 even in that culture. You're looking forward. If you don't have children, you don't have much of a life. You don't have much status. But if she is a widow, it's the closest to autonomy women get in the ancient world. You have widows. And who are the other ones who are fairly autonomous in the ancient Near East? Women, when it comes to their bodies and their sexuality. Yes. Yes. Prostitutes. 100%. Either cultic prostitutes, so, prostit- so women who are tied to a religious institution, or women who are paid for access to their sexuality. Yes. Widows and prostitutes are the ones who have control of their own Sexuality, you know, the access to their bodies. Yes. Women who are controlled by a cultic institution. Yes. Huh? Yes. Priestesses. Priestesses. You have to. Wait, I'm so naive. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm such a small they thought child. It was good so you're wondering how priestesses, why they would have sex, huh? I'm like a little embarrassed. The, no worries. They embody the goddess, and men come oh. to experience intimacy with God by having relations with her representative on earth. What a racket. Who? The children of who? The priest. The, the cultic prostitutes? Yes. Uh, generally, sometimes they were part of the priest, the part of the temple compound. Rabbi. Mm. Well, sure. I mean, what, the, what's the joke? What's the difference between a cult and a new religion? A hundred years. A hundred years. All religions are cults. We just call some, you know, when we use the word cult for the ancient world, we're talking about the rites and, you know, and rituals that go along with a certain very specific expression of a certain religious tradition. Yes. I'm wondering uh, how uh, saleable is this woman who uh, there's no leverite to take care of her. And she goes to her parents' house or she stays with her. But wherever she is, what are her opportunities as a widow? Right. So somebody who doesn't have a lot of money 
to buy a virgin bride, she's a great option. Used car. Used car. That's exactly right. She comes a lot cheaper. A lot cheaper. No JD. No JD. <laughs> All right. So, uh -huh. um, do you know if the same rules that applied then to us are now still in operation in the Middle East where, you know, we, we know that if your husband dies or something, what happens? So I don't, I don't know if there's a place that's still really active and the norm, you know, but my bet is there's some form somewhere, somewhere of this. And, and even in the rabbinic writings, there's a whole thing about Yibum, you know, how you go through, how she releases him. Because she, by the way, she can choose to release herself from the whole business. Mm -hmm. we, get a, we get laws in Deuteronomy that let her, he has to take off a shoe and she spits in the shoe and, um, and she, releases him, she releases them from the obligations of the lever. Yep, of lever at marriage. So there's two different lever at marriage situations in Torah. We get two different situations, like two different laws, two different sets of laws. So it evolved, obviously. The practice evolved. This is a very old form. This is an ancient form. Even within Torah, you have to remember Torah spans a really long time, from the, time, the earliest stories to the later material. It's like a thousand years. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of history here. This is a very early form of lever at marriage. All right, so <clears throat> let's get to the good stuff. So, but I, wanna, I wanted us to have all that information before we read closer, okay? So, la, 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 la. but Onan, knowing that the seed would not count as his, let it go to waste whenever he joined with his brother's wife so as not to give her offspring, right? Coitus interruptus, right? He spills seed on the ground. So that she doesn't conceive. Why doesn't he want her to conceive? Is his brother would inherit. Correct. Very good, Reuben. Because he's the oldest brother. If she gets pregnant and it counts as the older brother's son, it divides the property, and he is greedy and selfish and doesn't want that, right? And so he he won't. He purposefully, right? Interrupts coitus so that she will not conceive. He wasn't too wise given what happened to air. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's like, really? You want to go there, really? Um, it turns out he aired. <laughs> okay, so he. <laughs> have you ever heard the term onanism? Yes. From here. What is that? Spilling your seed. That's the sin of spilling your seed. Masturbation. Masturbation. So that it's from here, from what Onan did. So that you didn't want to, God forbid, describe, God forbid, what it was. You would just say what Onan did. Onanism. Right? The thing that makes you go blind. Right? All right. So. So this is bad. This is like bad, 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 bad. Because it's not just selfish, but it is interrupting what's the order of what's supposed like it was intended. You don't do this. Like you just don't do something like this. This is really bad. No, I mean not the onanism. I mean you know, right that that he's prevent he's saying he's gonna be the lever and he goes in and has coitus with her and prevents 
the point of the coit, like that, it's just, it's really, really bad but on every he, level. But if he didn't want to, could, couldn't he have, could he have said that he didn't want to? Or no? I don't think so. His father said, okay. you will perform okay, so lever. But also, he was in control of it. Obligations. If, someone, if she went to someone else, then in the family, it would still be the older brother's son. So he was then in control of her offspring. Oh, right. Who? Right. Onan. Onan. But he would have, but that kid would inherit Onan's property. I know, right. that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. why he controlled it. He didn't want her to go to someone else. 100%. Yeah. Hundred, that's right. So he's preventing her from getting pregnant with someone else. Yes. It's bad on every <laughs> level. Yes, that's exactly right, Lois. It's, it's so bad. On every level. So, and I want us to really get how bad this is because it's how Torah understands it. Torah understands this as the worst thing he could possibly do for all the reasons we just said. And don't even go to the suffering she experiences. Right? She can't do anything about it. So, this is horrible on every level. Torah knows that. And then we're going to see what she does. But that whole thing just seems like it's set up to create family turmoil. Just that whole practice. Well, for the lever, if he's got to share the inheritance, for sure, it sets up tension. Right. And it just seems like, why shouldn't the lever marry the widow instead? Sometimes he's married. And or he wants, he wants a bride who's going to give him his own children. This is, for, this is for his brother. These aren't his children. Unless he married her. So... I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I, I, honestly, it's a good question. I, I would have to look at the legal right. thing to know Maybe, what the implications of that are. I'll get right on yeah. that. Maybe the thing that's operating here that we're not acknowledging is that he, the leper, comes in quite quickly after the death of his brother. And that's why the paternity of the kid would be in question. If it were like nine months later... It would be a different story, wouldn't it? It wouldn't matter. If she were pregnant, it doesn't matter. He wouldn't have to perform the leveret obligation. Uh-huh. If her pregnancy was visible right. at the time or if she she's even, called in. Yeah. If or she even suspected that she was pregnant, she might say, wait a minute, let's wait and yeah. see. Yeah. Not that she had control over it. but So it's just that the, the thing is she needs to be pregnant with someone from that from that clan. All right, so, verse 10, what he did was displeasing, right? As Robert says, you should should have known, buddy, (laughs) right? Not real bright. Um, So it was displeasing to Yudhe-Vavhe, and he died also, right? God killed him also. Vayomer Yehuda Litamar, so Yehuda says to his daughter-in-law, here, pay attention, stay as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For, he thought to himself, privately, he too might die like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. Here's the thing Judah does that is, that is horrifying, is he sends her away back to her father's house as a widow, but 
promises her to his third son. What does that do? She has no control over her own future. She has no control over her sexuality or her fertility. Because as a widow, she should have that status. But she doesn't because he's betrothed her to his third son and privately never intends to give him to Tamar. For he might die like his brothers. Really nasty. This is really nasty. She sees her as poison. He sees her as poison, right? Black Widow. Right? So that's why I said who who killed them? Well, we know who killed them, but Judah doesn't. Carol? So then why wouldn't he just let her go be a widow in her father's house and, and, you know, beg us into heaven? (laughs) So (laughs) this is the question that Torah doesn't answer, uh, but it is... It is what he should have done. What is the other option? If he doesn't want to give her his third son, what's another option for him? Let her go. Let her go or? Marry her. Ooh, could he marry her? Or perform the duties of a lever himself. He made secretly. Wow. Perform the duties himself. Put up or shut up. Either take care of business or release her, but he doesn't do it. He keeps her in. Why? He secretly. We don't know. We don't know, and I don't even have a fantastic guess. Well, he may not want to die. No. Well, why doesn't he say you're released? Oh, well, that. Oh, wait. You know what? Maybe. Yeah. Why doesn't he release her as a widow? I'm just wondering if there's a complication whereby he they owe her this son. Well, what about other? So he has to. Do what he can. So what about other relatives? I mean, he promises her well, that lies, and ties her up. That ties her up. He doesn't want, for yeah, some reason, to obligate anybody else. Yeah, correct. Because maybe he thinks she's a bad. He has another option. Has so, all the deaths have to do with her. So there's one theory. He doesn't want to expose anybody in his clan to poisonous Tamar. Pick the least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> So pick a cousin you don't like. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's one of these people who, even if he doesn't if she, really want something, just can't it's still going to be his. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's still going to be mine, even though I don't want it. Right. Because I might. Right. Maybe. And what, what was that, that test about, like, when people say, do you love this mug? And people will say, no, not really, or whatever. But then if you got given the mug... You know, and then the, the then the researcher said, "I'll give you a dollar for it." People said, "No." At least ten dollars. At least ten dollars, right? So the now that it's mine, the value of keeping it is more than it's actually worth to me if I were to go shopping for it. And and on some level, I think that might be at work here. Who knows? But if you really think that this woman is has killed two of your sons. And is really, she may seem nice, but she's really not. You might think that the moral thing to do was to tie her up so she couldn't do that to anybody. Right. So that she well, truly that is poison, she truly is dangerous, so God, make sure she doesn't. Come up with some let's just come up with a legal way to keep her bound up in her father's house without the ability to be with any other man, possibly. That would be a 
gracious reading of Judah's. <laughs> no, it, I'm not saying it's not possible. The only reason I'm going to tell you it doesn't seem supported is because Torah doesn't. Torah doesn't to, and, and Torah has her do something else that shows that Judah was wrong. That he wasn't right to tie her up. Or, do you know what I mean? It just seems like he's... But it doesn't matter. It, it, it is what it is. We don't know the answer. It could be some technicality. That in this early form of leveret marriage, it couldn't be a cousin. You know, I don't know. But it seems clear, according to Tikva, um, Dr. Frymerkensky, that he could have. It's, even in this form, he could have fulfilled the right of the lever. So that's why Torah is so... You know, is going to approve of what Tamar does, right? So what? Ostensibly, it wasn't that he wasn't attracted to her, because well, right. let, let's, hold let's hold that question. Let's hold that question. Yeah. Uh, Tamar and this uh, young man, what's his name? The first One of those guys. Uh, Shema. Yeah. Half brother and sister. No, he's. It's her brother-in-law. It's her brother-in-law. Shema is a is a is a son of Judah, isn't he? He's a brother of her dead husband. The three boys are Judah's. Tamar marries one of them, dies. She marries the second one, dies. Shelah's left. She's now engaged to the third son. And we don't know how old he is. Or do we know how old he is at this point? He's little. I don't. Ha-ha. I mean, it could be. Ha-ha. We we don't know, really but, uh, but hang on, Bert. That's a good question. Yes, Ruben. I'm, I'm missing. No worries. No worries. Judah. I, I, it all Judah took a wife for his firstborn son. Her name was Tamar. They're not. They're only related by marriage. He, he, he yeah. married this. Uh, Shua. Yeah, Shua. And has three sons. That's Judah's wife. And yeah, but didn't he? Also have Tamar. No, he he bought Tamar. He got Tamar for his son. Okay. Right? No, no, no. Look, look, look. After his wife died. Judah got a wife for heir his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. Okay. He went and got a wife, and her name was Tamar. The wife store. The wife. The wife store. All right. So so Bert raises a question about what if Shela is five? Wow. Right? Okay. If he's five, what would happen, do you think? You have to wait. You wait. If she's engaged to him, she waits. But he says, stay as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. Okay. So she waits. Here we go. What happens? A long time afterward... Okay? She's waited. She has waited and waited and waited and waited. Shua's daughter, Judah's wife, dies. When his period of mourning was over, Judah went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers together with his friend Chira the Adulamite. So you're going to go with your flock. It's time for the sheep shearing. Everybody goes to the sheep shearer place in Timna. You're going to travel to sheep shear town. It's like the Renaissance Fair. Like the Renaissance Fair. You go, and if you're taking your whole flock and it's time for everybody to get shorn, this process takes a long time. They don't have scissors. They have 
you know, razor, you know, it's a, it's a hand process. This is a long process. You're up there for a week. So he's not just going for lunch in Timnah, right? He's, they're traveling. The whole clan is traveling to Timnah with the flock, and they're going to be staying there until it's done, which is going to be a while. So she knows what's happening. So he's done mourning. He's going to be on vacation, essentially. I mean, he's got to oversee stuff, but he's a wealthy man. He, he doesn't have to do much. He just has to oversee the deal and make sure everything's happening, right? So he's, he's eating well, staying in a nice hotel. He's going to Vegas. He's going to yeah. Vegas. What happens in Timna? <laughs> what happens in Timna? Stays in Timna. So, so Tamar was told about this. So, Whoa. what? She's at her father's house. Yeah. It's down the Who road. It's common knowledge. Everybody's getting ready to go to Timna. They're going to the sheep. <laughs> right. This is a big deal. This is like the whole clan. The clan is taking the whole all the sheep. That's a big deal. So that's what happens at this time of year. If you're a semi-nomadic pastoralist, it's time to take the sheep. Okay. So she takes off her widow's garb. She takes off her widow's garb. She covers her face with a veil and wrapping herself up. So, you know, think about the cover of the red tent. You know, she, she you know, covers herself up as you do because it's sunny and hot and women covered their head from the heat. She sits down at the entrance to a place. You have to love the place she sits. You have to love Torah. You have to. Where does she sit? She sits at a place called Petach. What do you mean? Oh, don't you think we're going there? What does Petach mean? Petach Tikva. Yes. What is that? Open. Okay, if you don't love this, if you don't love this, if if you don't think Torah doesn't have a sense of humor, all right, put your tongue in your cheek and read this sentence again. She veils herself so she's disguised and sits at a place called open eyes. And sitting there, which is on the road to Timna. It's the way these guys are traveling. She saw, to your question, Bert, that Shela was grown up, yet she had not been given to him as a wife. She knows what Judah means to do now. She's waited. Now maybe she's 26, 27, almost irrelevant, right, as a wife as a mother, right? You know, like she's approaching, like, you're an old lady, you're an old maiden. Her biological clock. Her biological clock, her socially biological clock is ticking. That's great. She knows now what her future is going to be. She's going to be alone the rest of her life under Judah's (laughs) legal binding, right? And no control over her destiny. Lisa's excited. Did you read ahead? Yeah. All right. So, she, so when Judas, I, here's the danger of going too slow, Rabbi. Okay. When Judas saw her, he took her for a harlot, for she had covered her face. We actually don't have a, re, I don't know why this is here, because 
Dr. Fry Markensky says harlots were not allowed in the ancient Near East to cover their face. Um, so I'm not sure. But for whatever reason... Well, she had to cover her face so he wouldn't recognize her. That's why she has to cover her yeah. face. And that's why the theory is they were not allowed to cover their faces as harlots. Right, because you wouldn't know who they were. You wouldn't know who it was. What if it was your next-door neighbor's wife? God forbid, right? So harlots could not cover their faces. And clearly women were not veiled. Clearly women did not routinely go yeah. around veiled. Or only married women could go around veiled, whatever, and, and only in public. I don't know. So it's very complicated. I actually wanted to do a research paper on the practice of veiling um, in the ancient Near East because I think it's fascinating. So... So when Jews, so he turned aside to her by the road and said, here, let me sleep with you. For he did not know, even with his very open eyes, he could not see with his open eyes that it was his daughter-in-law. And what she asked, will you pay for sleeping with me? Clearly, she knows that whatever's about to happen is going to be expensive. If she's dressed nicely, she knows it's expensive, and she knows he ain't carrying that kind of wealth on him right now, right? So, because he says, I will send a kid from my flock. That's expensive. You don't walk around with a kid under your arm to purchase stuff, right? He's a very wealthy man. He's buying this on credit. His credit is good in Timna. Right? He doesn't have to have anything on him. He doesn't have to walk around with gold. He's a wealthy, wealthy sheikh. He can say, I want that, that, and that in any shop in Timna. Yes, Mr. Judah, we will have that packed up for you and sent right over to you know, the Four Seasons. Yes? Why would he invite to ask to be with her if her face was veiled, though, if that wasn't the policy to have your face All we know is that he assumes she's a harlot. That's all we know. So to your question, Bird, about being attracted to her, I wonder what attraction has anything to do with anything here. It seems she's just a functionary. Absolutely. He can't even see her. He just needs release. And he'll go to whatever's in on the way. Like she places herself conveniently to tempt him, and it works. And she can, see she can see him clearly with open eyes. Her eyes are open, even though she's veiled. Her eyes are open. Yes? He's the one who's free. He's the one with status. He's the one with control of his destiny. And he doesn't see her. How did he deal with her? He sent her to her father's house. He doesn't see her. Shelah grows up. Judah doesn't see her. She says, you don't want to see me? Fine. So this was the plan. Let's use the fact that you don't see me. She knew exactly where he was going to be. Yes? Yeah. But Judah's not alone. So? Shelah is there as well. So? I don't know. It's just... <laughs> because she, she noticed that he'd grown up, so obviously he was there. So he and his dad are there. Okay. I didn't read it that way. I, I, I read that, not necessarily that, that she saw Shella at that time and knew he had grown up. She but she already knew. Sometime. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she oh. just knew. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She did this because she 
Had, she she knew she grew up, right. She didn't figure it all out oh, okay. while she was there. She figured it out right. and then went there. Yes, 100%. Now, was he there too? I don't know. Maybe, but it, it doesn't yeah, seem to matter. I mean, if you were writing this as a screenplay, you would have Tamar making some kind of unspoken overture to Judah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, she knows who she wants. She, she's got her target in her sights. She somehow draws his attention. Um, and he seems pretty eager. Lisa, quit reading ahead. All right, so, so I don't have any cash on me, he says. And so she says, right, leave a pledge, and then you'll send, you'll send me the kid later. And he asks, what pledge shall I leave with you? And she says, your seal and cord and the staff which you carry, which means your driver's license, your passport, and your monogrammed Gucci satchel that everyone knows you carry. That's what she asks for. And he says, okay. Because he knows he's a wealthy man. He'll just send his guy over with a kid and get the passport back. No problem. So he sleeps with her, and of course, she conceives. Of course. And then she went on her way. She took off her veil and again put on her widow's garb. So she takes off the disguise, not, you know, not disguise, but takes off the thing hiding who, what her identity is and puts back on her widow's garb. Judah sent the kid with his friend, the Adulamite, to redeem the pledge from the woman, but could not find her. Dun, 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 dun. Identity theft. <laughs> identity theft. Wait. So he inquires of the people of that town, where is the cult prostitute, the one at Enaim, by the road? But they said, there was no prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I could not find her. Moreover, the townspeople said, there's been no prostitute here. Judah said, let her keep them, lest we become a laughingstock. I did send her this kid, but you did not find her. So cultic prostitutes apparently did other things other than have intercourse with men. So they, she might have been doing some kind of ritual for him. She might have been offering prayer to the goddess on his behalf. Right? She's a pagan. She's a Canaanite pagan. He assumed, everyone assumed she's a cultic prostitute. So possibly she was there to offer intercessory prayers <laughs> for a good sheep shearing. Right? If he pursues this any further, it's going to become obvious what he's paying for. An expensive thing like that, and you're really trying to hunt her down, means everyone will know exactly what service she rendered, says Dr. Frymerkensky. And so he's like, you know what? Just leave it. We tried. We tried to pay. And no one could find her. So technically, legally, we are released from our obligation lest we become a laughingstock. He doesn't want people to know that he's that needy that he goes to a prostitute. Okay. Somebody want to read a 24? Lisa, since you've read ahead. Well, I can't read though. My eyes are fuzzy now. I just read all the way. Okay. Where are you? 24. 
Oh. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot. In fact, she is with child by harlotry. Bring her out, said Judah, and let her be burned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice yeah, that's what I went <laughs> Hello. And she, as she was being brought out, she sent this message to her father-in-law. I am with child by the man to whom this belongs. And she added, examine these whose seal and cord and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I, inasmuch as I did not give her my son, Sheila. Shila, how do you say that? Shela. Shela. And he was not intimate with her again. Okay. So three months later, about the time she would be beginning to show, Judah was told, uh, guess your, what? guess what? Your daughter-in-law, Tamar. <laughs> how does anybody know? She starts to show. She's pregnant. But, and how does anybody know that she played the harlot? Ah, that's, see, be very careful. That, that turn of phrase, your daughter, Tamar, is a slut. That's what they're saying. But they said the word played. No. That means she beha- She has behaved like a harlot. Why do I... I love this. Why do we love this? It's so much fun. Because what does he say? What are they saying to him? She has behaved like a woman who has control of her sexuality. When you told her... When you own it. Yeah, he does in many ways. So in that sense, they're right. Right. She has done exactly that. She has behaved as a woman who has the right to control who she sleeps with. But then she brings that up. Ah, okay. They're right. They don't know. What I'm saying is they don't know how right they are. They don't know how deeply right Right. they are and how right Tamar, right, feels about Forget, I'm not letting them decide for me my fate anymore. I'm going to behave as a woman, as the only woman other than the widow, which they should have allowed me to be. Then I'm going to behave as the, as a woman, the only other kind of woman who control her own sexuality. Well, she did more than that because she did it in the only legal way. You so better believe it. it. You'd better believe it. She's a wise lady. Wise and risky. This is very, very risky. 100%. So Judah says, bring her out. Let her be burned. She has disgraced my honor, the honor of my family, right? We are going to do the absolute most dramatic thing we can to send a message that this family is not one to be messed with. Unfortunately, <laughs> right? How do you prove that? It is often women and children who are victimized, brutalized for men's the, honor. The note here says that she would have that would have been considered adultery. Yes, of course. Of course, that that was punishable by death. Of course, right. you could stone her. You don't have to burn her alive. A pre- I mean, like, you're burning a pregnant woman alive? Like, really? Really? Some say, well, they would have stoned her and then burned her. Oh, okay. Well, that's better. So, right? I mean, it's just, we're supposed to be horrified, right? Torah's horrified. 
by his response. We know this because we know what happens, right? Torah is horrified. And so as he says that, she wraps up everything. And here's, here's the, the absolute gorgeousness with which Torah treats her. Torah has her send those things privately. Because what could she have done? What's the only thing she, she could do to guarantee her safety? Shamed him, shamed him publicly is the only way she can guarantee her life. And she doesn't do it. She gives them back to him and says, right? You, now you make the call. You still want to burn me alive? With you lever. <laughs> With his child. With your child in my belly? Then, then so be it. She leaves it to him to decide. The ultimate control of her destiny is to say, I allow you to control it. But I allow that. You may decide if I live or die because I decided to give you that power. You didn't get to take it anymore. Right? He's always had that power over her, but until now. Now when she has the power to shame him and be released from his power, the ultimate twist, according you know, to this story, which I think is fantastic, the ultimate twist is I will, you, will, you will remain in charge of whether I live or die because I say so. I wouldn't trust him either. He would have to be a monster to not acknowledge her respect to do this in private. Yes. And he's not a monster. So it turns out he's not a monster, and he'd have to be a monster, I think, also to burn his own grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. But lots of people who do child. something that they think yes. is wrong would rather burn their own grandchild. You know, I agree completely. I agree completely. But Sarah's right that Torah seems to draw a line between awful and monster. Right? Torah, Torah sets it up that if you would take a woman who protected your dignity when she had the opportunity to ruin you, yeah, that's- and... You know, and is pregnant with your grandchild? You want to murder your grandchild and do this to this woman who's acted honorably? That's just, that's even beyond, and he could have. It sets it up that he could have. But it's not his grandchild. It's not his grandchild. But there's a, It's his son. I mean, his son, yes. Um, but it would have been legally his grandchild, but yes, it's his son. It's his own son. So it would have counted as his dead son's son. Right. Right? So, right. Well, Keep up, Lois. Keep up. It's, it's kind of like the South. It's my grandson that's actually my son, but and it's also my first cousin. For the long time, he needs that for the tribe to go forward, right? Needs what? The, the son-grandson. No, he's got, he's got Shola. He can marry Shola off. Oh, I see. Yes. But that gives her a position of power, too. requirement to be a Jew in that time. Is to be a lawyer first. <laughs> <laughs> Things haven't changed much, Blanche. If the requirement back here is to, to be a Jew is to be a lawyer first. Things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. But doesn't that put her in a position of power having the firstborn? 100% it does. Now, if he spares her, 
she's going to be the mother of the eldest son, and her son will inherit everything Judah has. 100%. So she takes the risk, and Judah recognizes the things. Do you want to tell me why I harped on the coat and the blood coming right before this? Why? So, why? Because <laughs> it's the same exact language. Exactly the same language. Hakerna, look, recognize to whom do these belong. The same thing Judah did to his father just got done to him by a woman. Paybacks are what will, right? They, Judah participated in deceiving his father about the fate of Joseph with Joseph's coat and said, Hakerna, recognize please to whom do these belong and then draw your assumptions. Tamar sends his, and you wore your signet, you wore it around your neck, sends the things he wears that are about his identity, the way the coat identified Joseph, the driver's license that he wears around his neck, his dog tags identify him and says, Hakerna, recognize please to whom do these belong. Wow. 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 Does she know about that? I don't know. But Torah does. Right? And I I love that for Torah, it is Tamar who delivers justice for Judah. And Judah, who has, you know, years ago, heard this, said the same words to his father, realizes she is more righteous than I. And I thought you asked an irrelevant question this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Ruben, I'm going to forgive that you said that out loud, that you even thought I would ask an irrelevant question, but I am glad to know that I have redeemed my reputation or or affirmed my reputation that I don't ask irrelevant questions. So, um, So she is more right than I, and he was not intimate with her again, right? So he does not take her to wife, right? She doesn't, she's not asking to marry him. She wants what's hers by right. She wants the son. She's not interested in Judah, as far as we know, right? But it's clear that he does not take her to wife. He understands she's gotten what she deserves, which is a child. And it turns out, what does she have? Twins. 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 And she gives birth to Peretz and Zera. So who does this remind us of? Look, behold, there were twins in her womb. Esav and Yaakov. Right? So we get the echoing of right of that story um they are but she doesn't know she's having twins right she they're surprised like no <laughs> there were twins in her womb um right and uh so so we don't know exactly the <clears throat> folk who these are the Zeraites were a clan of judah we don't get a lot about them um but like ruth 
Tamar is a woman who controls in some way access to her own sexuality, her own body, her own fertility, and in so doing has children and creates status you know, for herself that Torah completely approves of. If you'll recall, Ruth seduces Boaz before he offers to be the lever. Naomi teaches her how. Naomi says, they'll be at the threshing floor, those men, and they'll probably be drinking a little. Go down there, right? And she lays her cloak over his legs. Probably a euphemism, right? So I love that in Torah, Ruth and Tamar are women who use the allure of their sexuality to draw men to do the right thing. Men who are the ones who have control of their sexuality. And I love that Torah gets it, that there is nothing morally problematic with this sexual, using what they have. Nothing. He says, she's more righteous than I. I also thought it was interesting that she had twins, one to replace each son who died. So there you go. There's another two. Yes. Parallel here. Yes. She is not barren in the sense that Sarah was. Correct. But she still doesn't have children. Say it again. She, she's another woman who can't have children. Not physically, but because of a social circumstance. Unlike the earlier story, <clears throat> excuse me, where it was God that took these barren women and gave them children, she took control of the situation and she now has children by her own will, which results, among other things, ten generations later in David, the king of Judah. And so it, it's like a movement from God does it all to now people are doing it, in this particular case, a woman. Right? This, for me, is one of the most satisfying hunks of Torah. Right? There is. It's just one of the best... Because she took control. Because she took control and said, I will not let circumstances... This is Viktor Frankl, right? This is... I will not let my circumstances determine who I am, who I become. The circumstances are the circumstances. All I can control is what I do with them, how I respond. This is, right, every... But can't you get into, like, just, you know, it was a deceitful thing... And it makes it okay because she was deceived? You could, but Torah doesn't seem to go there. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to care that she deceives him at all. There do, it does not seem to be a problem at all. Because it's not like, well, she was entitled to because... She, it just straightforward says, here's what she does, and it's all good. This was all she could do. This is all she could do. Right. But Torah doesn't have a problem with what she does. Blanche? It's very 
through belly and yeah. I don't know what the Jewish word, but these words being female. Right? But uh, scheming. Scheming for her life and her status. Yes. But no more scheming than Judah. There was a serious schemer. (laughs) Right. So, what? Judah's the schemer. She responds the only way she can, is what Robert is saying, that he's the one who was scheming, promising her, and then. Knowing all along for 10 years that he's not going to give her to him, that's the scheming. And she responds, you want to scheme? Let's scheme. On a broader level, this all happens before God gives all the rules about not scheming and being honest. And one reading of this is to say it was all of this stuff and all this dysfunction that created the need that showed God that there was a need. These people didn't automatically do the right stuff. And then when you get into Deuteronomy and Leviticus and be nice to your neighbor and and don't uh, put a summing block before the blind, that that was necessary because this is how people acted without that kind of guidance. It's kind of like a macro. Yes, She's not scheming, maybe I don't understand, she's not scheming for personal aggrandizement. She's scheming for life to continue moving through. Correct. So she's on the side of life, sort of. Correct. Right? Because she would have been willing to marry Shelah, or or to have her child through Shelah. She was playing by the rules to do what she's entitled to have, which is a child in her dead husband's name. He's entitled to that, and so is she. That's what you do. That's the right thing to do. She was a problem solver. (laughs) The social worker says she was a problem solver. She was a problem solver. Plan A. Plan A didn't work. Plan B, C, D, and E didn't work. So she found... Plan F. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was very disappointed in the red tent as it was shown on television. Yeah. And it seems I to be the universal opinion. Yeah. And I saw that book showing us the method that women were problem solving. It was in the red tent. The book, when you read the book. Yes. And I. Absolutely approve of that. <laughs> so when I saw that awful show. <laughs> so it's awful because they left out parts from the book that empowered women? Right. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Absolutely. it yet. Yes. So they, like, they took out the parts of Diamant's book that made it compelling for us as women to read back into those women, their ability to problem solve and take risks and... It got very bad reviews. It was very boring. boring. <laughs> well, it's like a soap opera. So you say the book was better. The book was better. I didn't hear that much. The book was better. This book. Yeah, so, um, well... <laughs> I know, I know, it's okay, it's okay. We'll, we'll close with... Um, <laughs> Rather, With understanding that, yes, Ruben? Uh, I see this from the point of view of the storyteller and the beautiful story well told. And Jacob 
uh, uh, Judah is is made to be the villain, and and you not only hate him for how he's behaving, <laughs> but at the, near the end when he says go out and burn her, then from the point of view of the reader, that's her. Uh, uh, Revenge is even sweeter. Yes, you know, right? It's a well-told story. The more vilified he is, the more of a heroine she is, and that she chooses to do it, like Sarah said, you know, protecting his dignity and behaving with such honor. This is usually how we see the men heroes, behaving with chivalry and honor. I mean, I know that word's later, but, you know, right? And, right? and brave. And, what, and here's Tamar doing everything we would admire in a hero. And... Uh, so she's, she's possibly fruitful, like the tamal, like the date palm. She has potential. She has all of this fruitful potential. But it is stunted. It cannot happen without human intervention and ingenuity and courage and risk and honor yeah. and sacrifice. That is what so often brings us into our own potential. Human intervention, ingenuity, courage. That's when we grow fully into the tamar tzaddik katamar yifrach. The righteous, like the tamar, will flourish, will be fruitful, even into their old age will they be lush and moist. Sarah? Well, I just want to say I'm very happy that you were brave enough to do this story when you auditioned. <laughs> and I think we've all profited. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. I, I think it would have been a better story if she had triplets. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been really good. Oh, there you go. He's had a hard time making good decisions his whole life. But it's interesting, after, so, after this incident... I'm glad you brought that up because I would have forgotten to say something. After this incident, Judah seems to change. Judah now starts to advocate. When we see the opportunity for them to leave Benjamin, right? I mean, with that whole business with one of them gets put in jail, and we're gonna Joseph's gonna keep him as a hostage. Go get Ben. It's Judah who speaks up and says, let me take his place. He becomes humble. Judah becomes humble. Judah is changed by this experience, which impacts the outcome of the Joseph narrative. It is, in part, Judah's behavior that convinces Joseph that they have changed and that reunites them and that winds up reuniting Jacob with Joseph. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.